Reads What I Want. We're reading The Road Less Travelled, A New Psychology for Love, Traditional Values and Spiritual Growth. And we left it at part one, section two. So we're on the discipline section. So that's section one. But this is now part two because I've had to split this up because it's so long. So we're on to, I think we left it at problem solving and time. So... Having touched upon some of the ways in which parental love or its lack may influence the development of self-discipline in general, oh, that was a long one, and the capacity to delay gratification in particular, let us examine some of the more subtle yet quite devastating ways in which difficulties in delaying gratification affects the lives of most adults. For while, for while most of us, fortunately, develop sufficient capacity to delay gratification to make it through high school or college and embark upon adulthood without landing in jail, our development nevertheless tends to be imperfect and incomplete, with the result that our ability to solve life's problem is still imperfect and incomplete. At the age of 37, I learned how to fix things. Prior to that time, almost all my attempts to make minor plumbing repairs, mend toys or assemble box furniture according to the accompanying hieroglyphical information (laughs) sheet ended in confusion, failure and frustration. Despite having managed to make it through medical school and support a family as a more or less successful executive and psychiatrist, I considered myself to be a mechanical idiot. I was convinced I was deficient in some gene or my curse of nature lacking some mystical quality responsible for mechanical ability. Then one day at the end of my 37th year, while taking a spring day walk, a spring Sunday walk, I happened upon a neighbour in the process of repairing a lawnmower. After greeting him, I remarked, boy, I still, I sure admire you. I've never been able to fix those kinds of things or do anything like that. My neighbour, without a moment's hesitation, shot back. That's because you don't take the time. I resumed my walk, somehow disquieted by the guru-like simplicity, spontaneity and definiteness of his response. You don't suppose he could be right, do you? I asked myself. Somehow it registered and the next time the opportunity presented itself to make a minor repair, I was able to remind myself to take my time. The parking brake was stuck on a a patient's car and she knew that this was something one could do under the dashboard to release it, but she didn't know what. I lay down on the floor below the front seat of the car. Then I took the time to make myself comfortable. Once I was comfortable, I then took the time to look at the situation. I looked for several minutes. At first, I saw what was a confusing jumble of wires and tubes and rods. Those meaning, whose meaning I did not know. But gradually, in no hurry, I was able to focus my sight on the brake apparatus and trace its course. And then it became clear to me that there was a little latch preventing the brake from being released. I I slowly studied this latch until it became clear to me that if I was to push it upwards with the tip of my finger, it would more easily and would it would more easily and would release the brake. And so I did it. 
One single motion, one ounce of pressure from a fingertip and the problem was solved. I was a master mechanic. <laughs> Actually, I didn't begin to have the knowledge of the time to gain that knowledge to be able to fix most mechanical failures. Given the fact that I chose to concentrate my time on the non-mechanical matters. So I still usually go run into the nearest repairman. But I now know that this is a choice I make and I'm not cursed or genetically defective or otherwise incapacitated or impotent i know that i am i and anyone else who is not mentally defective can solve any problem if we are willing to take the time the issue is important because many people simply do not take the time necessary to solve many of life's intellectual social or spiritual problems just as i did not take the time to solve mechanical problems before my mechanical enlightenment, I would have awkwardly stuck my head under the dashboard of my patient's car, immediately yanked it at a few wires without having the foggiest idea of what I was doing. And then, when nothing constructive resulted, would have thrown up my hands and proclaimed, it's beyond me. And this is precisely the way that so many of us approach other dilemmas of day-to-day -day living. The aforementioned financial analyst was a basically loving and dedicated but rather helpless mother to her two young children. She was alert and concerned enough to perceive what when her children were having some sort of emotional problem or when something was not working out in her child's raising. But then she inevitably took one of two courses of action with the children. Either she made the very first change that came to her mind within a matter of seconds, making them eat more breakfast or sending them to the bed early, sending them to bed earlier, regardless of whether such a change has anything to do with the problem, or else she came to her next therapy session with me, the repairman, dis uh, despairing. It'll be it's it's beyond me. What should I do? This woman had a perfectly keen and analytical mind, and when she didn't procrastinate. She was quite capable of solving complex problems at work. Yet, when confronted with a personal problem, she behaved as if she was totally lacking in intelligence. The issue was one of time. Once she became aware of a personal problem, she felt so discomfited that she demanded an immediate solution and she was not willing to tolerate her discomfort long enough to analyse the problem. The solution to the problem was represented gratitude represented gratification to her but she was unable to lay the gratification for more than a minute or two with the result that her solutions were usually inappropriate and her family in chronic turmoil fortunately through her own perseverance in in therapy she was gradually able to learn how to discipline herself to take the time necessary to analyze family problems so as to develop well thought out and effective solutions we are not talking here about esoteric defects in problem solving associated only with people who clearly manifest psychiatric disturbances the financial analyst is every man who among us can say that they unfailingly devote sufficient time to analysing their children's problems or tensions within the family? Who among us is so self-disciplined that he or she never says residedly in the face of family problems, it's beyond me? Actually, there is a defect in the approach to problem solving more prim 
primitive and more destructive than impatiently inadequate attempts to find instant solutions. A defect even more ambiguous and universal. It is the hope that problems will go away or their own, of their own accord. A 30-year-old single salesman in group therapy in a small town began to date this recently separated wife of another group member, a banker. The salesman knew the banker to be a chronically angry man who was deeply resentful of his wife leaving him. He knew that he was not being honest either when the group or with the banker by not confiding his relationship with the banker's wife. He also knew that if he was almost inevitable that sooner or later the banker would learn about the continuing relationship. He knew that the only solution to the problem would be to confess the relationship to the group and bear the banker's anchor with the group's support. But he did nothing. After three months, the banker found out about the friendship, was predictably enraged and used the incident to quit his therapy. When confronted by the group with his destructive behaviour, the salesman said, I knew that talking about it would be a hassle, and I guess I felt that if I did nothing, maybe I could get away with it without the hassle. I guess I thought that if I waited long enough, the problem might go away. See, making no choice is a choice. Anyway, problems do not go away. They must be worked through or else they remain forever a barrier to the growth and development of the spirit. The group made the salesman aware in no uncertain terms that his tendency to avoid problem solving by ignoring a problem in the hope that it would go away was in itself a major problem. Four months later, in the early autumn, the salesman fulfilled a fantasy by rather, by rather suddenly quitting his sales job and, and starting his own furniture repair business, which would not require him to travel. The group deplored the fact that he was putting all his eggs in one basket and also questioned the wisdom of making the move with winter coming on. But the salesman assured them he would make enough to get by in his new business. The subject was dropped. Then in early February, he announced that he would have to quit the group because he could no longer pay the fee. He was dead broke and would have to start looking for another job. In five months, he had repaired a total of eight pieces of furniture. When asked why he hadn't started looking for a job sooner, he replied, I knew six weeks ago that I was running through my money fast, but somehow I couldn't believe that it would come to this point. The whole thing just didn't seem very urgent, but boy, it's urgent now. He had, of course, ignored his problem. Suddenly, it began to dawn on him that until he solved his problem ignoring problems, he would never get beyond step one, even with all the psychotherapy in the world. This inclination to ignore problems is once again a simple manifestation of an unwillingness to delay to delay gratification. Confronting problems is, as I had said, painful. To willingly confront a problem early before we are forced to confront it by circumstances means to put aside something pleasant or less painful for something more painful. It is choosing to suffer now in the hope of hope of future gratification rather than choosing to continue present gratification in the hope that future suffering will not be necessary. It may seem that the salesman who ignored such obvious problems was emotionally immature or psychologically primitive, 
But again, I tell you, he is every man and he, his immaturity and primitiveness exist in all of us, in us all. A great general commander of an army once told me, the single greatest problem in this army, or I guess in any organisation, is that most of the executives will sit looking at problems in their units, staring them right in the face, doing nothing as if these problems will go away if they sit there long enough. The general wasn't talking about the mentally weak or abnormal, he was talking about other generals and senior colonels, mature men of proven capacity and trained in discipline. Parents are executives, and despite the fact that they are usually ill-prepared for it, their task can be every bit as complex as directing a company or corporation. And like the army executives, most parents will perceive problems in their children or in their relationship with their children for months or years before they take any effective action, if they ever do. We thought maybe he would grow out of it, the parents say as they could come to the child psychologist with a problem of five years duration. And with recent, with respect for the complexity of the parenting, it must be said that parental decisions are difficult and that children often do grow out of it, but also never hurts to try to help them grow out of it or to look more closely at the problem. And while children often grow out of it, often they do not. And as with as many problems, the longer children's problems are ignored, the larger they become and the more painful and difficult to solve. Interesting. So we're going on to responsibility. We cannot solve life's problems except by solving them. This statement may seem idiotically tautological or self-evident yet it is seemingly beyond the comprehensions of much of the human race this is because we must accept responsibility for a problem before we can solve it we cannot solve a problem by saying it's not my problem we cannot solve a problem by hoping that someone else will solve it for us i can solve a problem only when i say this is my problem and it's up to me to solve it but many, so many, seek to avoid the pain of their problems by saying to themselves, this problem was caused, this problem was caused me by other people or by social circumstances beyond my control. And therefore, it is up to other people or society to solve this problem for me. It is not really my, pro my personal problem. The extent to which people go psychologically to avoid assuming responsibility for personal problems, while always sad, is sometimes almost ludicrous. A career sergeant, sergeant in the army stationed in Oklahoma and in, see, sorry, Marin, uh, you Americans that listen to this, I just butchered that name, but it could be Okinawa. You tell me what it is, and in serious trouble because of his excessive drinking was referred for psychiatric evaluation and, if possible, assistance. He denied that he was alcoholic or even that he used his use of alcohol was a personal problem, saying, there's nothing else to do in the evenings in Oklahoma except drink. Do you like to read? I asked. Oh, yes, I like to read, sure. Then why don't you read in the evening instead of drinking? It's too noisy to read in the barracks. Well, then... 
Why don't you go to the library? The library's too far away. Is the library further away than the bar you go to? Well, I'm not much of a reader. That's not where where my interests lie. Do you like to fish? I then inquired. Sure, I love to fish. Why not go fishing instead of drinking? Because I have to work all day long. Can't you go fishing at night? No, there isn't any night fishing in Oklahoma. What? But there is, I said. I know several organisations that fish at night here. Would you like me to put you in touch with one of them? Well, I really don't like to fish. Well, I hear him saying. What I hear, what I hear him saying, I clarified, is that there are other things to do in Oklahoma except drink. But the thing you like to do most in Oklahoma is drink. Yeah, I guess so. But your drinking is getting you into trouble, so you're faced with a real problem, aren't you? <laughs> the damn island won't drink anyone. The that. This damn island would drink anyone to drive anyone to drink. I kept trying for a while, but the sergeant was not the least bit interested in seeing his drinking as a personal problem, which he could solve either with or without help. And I regretfully told his commander that he was not amenable to assistance. His drinking continued and he was separated from the service in mid-career. A young wife, also in Oklahoma, cut her wrist slightly with a razor blade and was brought to the emergency room where I saw her. I hoaxed her while she had done this to herself, to kill myself, of course. Why do you want to kill yourself? Because I can't stand it on this dumb island. You have to send me back to the States. I'm going to kill myself if I have to stay here any longer. What is it about living in Oklahoma that's so painful for you, I asked. She began to cry in a wailing sort of way. I don't have any friends here and I'm alone all the time. That's too bad. How come you haven't been able to make any friends? Because I have to live in a stupid Oklahoma housing area and none of my neighbours speak English. Why don't you drive over to the American housing area or to the wives clubs during the day so you can make some friends? Because my husband has to drive the car to work. Can't you drive him to work since you're alone and bored all day, I asked. No, he's a stick shift car. And I don't know how to drive a stick shift car, only an automatic. Why don't you learn how to drive a shift stick car? She glared at me. On these roads, you must be crazy. Wow, the excuses people make. Don't you think, peeps? (laughs) Anyway, neurosis and character disorder. Most people come to see a psychiatrist are suffering from what is called either a neurosis or a character disorder. But most simply, these two conditions are disorders of responsibility and as such they are opposite styles of relating to the world and its problems. The the neurotic assumes too much responsibility. The person with a character character disorder, not enough. When neurotics are in conflict with the world, they automatically assume that they are at fault. When those with character disorders disorders are in conflict with the world, they automatically assume that the world is at fault. The two individuals just described have character disorders. The sergeant felt that his drinking was Oklahoma's fault, not his, and the wife also saw herself as playing no role whatsoever in her world her own isolation and the neurotic woman on the other hand also suffering from the loneliness and isolation of Oklahoma complained 
I drive over to the non-commissioned officers wife club every day to look for friendship, but I don't feel at ease there. I think that the other wives don't, wives don't like me. Sometimes, something must be wrong with me. I should be able to make friends more easily. I ought to be more outgoing. I want to find out what it is about me that makes me so unpopular. This woman assumed total responsibility for her loneliness, feeling she was entirely to brain. What, what she found out in the course of therapy was that she was an unusually intelligent and ambitious person and that she was ill at ease with other sergeants' wives as well as with her husband because she was considerably more intelligent and ambitious than they. She became aware to she became able to see that her loneliness while her problem was not necessarily due to the fact or defect of her own. Ultimately, she was dis divorced, but herself put herself through college while raising her children, became a magazine editor and married a successful publisher. Even the speech patterns of neurotics and those with character disorders are different. The speech of a neurotic is notable for such expressions as I ought to, I should and I shouldn't, indicating the individual self-image as an inferior man or woman. Always falling short of the mark, always making the, the wrong choices. The speech of a person with a character disorder, however, relies heavily on I can't, I can't, I couldn't, I have to and I had to, demonstrating a self-image of being who have no power of choice whose behaviour is completely directed by external forces totally beyond his or her control. As might be imagined, neurotic, neurotics compared with character disordered people are easy to work with in, a psychotherapy, in psychotherapy because they assume responsibility for their difficulties and therefore see themselves as having problems. Those with character disorders are much more difficult it is not impossible to if not impossible to work with because they don't see themselves as the source of their problems they see the world rather than themselves as being in need of change and therefore fail to recognize the necessity necessity for self-examination in actuality many individu individuals have both a neurosis and a character disorder and as and I refer to as character neurot neurotics, all these words, indicating that in some areas of their lives, they are guilt-ridden by virtue or having assumed responsibility that is not really theirs. While in other areas of their lives, they fail to take realistic responsibilities for themselves. Fortunately, one has established the faith and trust of such individuals in the psychotherapy process through helping them with the neurotic part of their personalities. It is often possible that, to, that then to engage them in examining and correcting their unwillingness to assume responsibility where appropriate. Few of us can escape being neurotic or character disordered to at least some degree, which is why essentially everyone can benefit from some psychotherapy if he or she is seriously willing to participate in the process. The reason for this is that problems of distinguishing what we are and what we are not responsible for in this life is one of the greatest problems of human existence. 
It is never completely solved. For the entirety of our lives, we must continue assess and reassess where our responsibilities lie in the ever-changing course of events. Nor is this assessment and reassessment painless if performed adequately and conscious, conscientiously. To perform either process adequately, we must process the willingness and the capacity to suffer continual self-examination. And such capacity or willingness is not inherent in any of us. In, in a sense, all children have character disorders in that their instinctual tendency is to deny their responsibility for many conflicts in which they find themselves. Thus, two siblings fighting will always blame each other for initiating the fight and each will totally deny that he or she may have been the culprit. Similarly, all children have neuroses in that they will instinctively assume responsibility for certain de deprivations that they experience but do not yet understand. Thus, the child who is not loved by his parents will always assume himself or herself to be unlovable rather than see the parents as deficient in their capacity to love. Or early adolescents who are not yet successful at dating or at or at sports will see themselves as seriously deficient human beings rather than the late or even average but perfectly adequate bloomers they usually are. It is only through a vast amount of experience and a lengthy successful maturation that we gain the capacity to see the world and our place in it realistically and thus are enabled to realistically assess our responsibility for our, our world and ourselves and the world there is much that parents can do to assist their children in this maturation process opportunities present themselves thousands of times while children are growing up with when parents can either confront them with their tendency to avoid or escape responsibility for their own actions or can resume them that certain situations are not their fault but to seize these opportunities, as, I've, as I have said, requires of parents sensitivity their, to their children's needs and the willingness to take the time and make the often uncomfortable effort to meet these needs. So, and this is in turn requires love and the willingness to assume appropriate responsibility for the enhancement of their children's growth. Conversely, even above and beyond simple insensitivity or neglect, there is much that many parents do to hinder this maturation process. Neuro neurotics, because of their willingness to assume responsibility, may be quite excellent parents if their neurosis are relatively mild and they are not so overwhelmed by unnecessary responsibilities that they have scant energy left for the necessary responsibilities of parenthood. Character disordered people, however, make disastrous parents, blissfully unaware that they often treat their children with vicious destructiveness. It is said that neurotics make themselves miserable. Those with character disorders make everyone else miserable. Chief among the people's character disordered parents make miserable are their children. As in other areas of their lives, they fail to assume adequate responsibility for their parenting. They tend to brush off their children in thousands of little ways rather than provide them with needed attention. 
when their parents are delinquent or are having difficulty in school character disordered parents will automatically lay the blame on the school system or on other children who they insist are a bad influence on their own children this attitude of course ignores the problem because they duck responsibility character disordered parents serve as role models of irresponsibility for their children Finally, in their efforts to avoid responsibility for their own lives, character-disordered parents will often lay the responsibility upon their children. You kids are driving me nuts! Or, the only reason I stay married to your father, mother, is because of you kids. Or, your mother's a nervous wreck because of you. Or, I could have gone to college and been a success if, I wasn't for, if it wasn't for having to support you. In such ways, these parents in efforts say to, wow, in such ways, these parents in effect say to their children, you are responsible for the quality of my marriage, my mental health and my lack of success in life. Since they lack the capacity to see how inappropriate this is, the children will offer accept their responsibility and insofar as they do accept it, they will become neurotic. It is in such ways that character disordered parents also invariably produce character disordered or neurotic children it is the parents themselves who visit their sins upon their children it is not simply in their role as parents that character disordered individual individuals are ineffective and destructive these same character traits usually extend to their marriages their friendships and their business dealings to any area of their existence in which they fail to assume responsibility for its quality this is inevitable since as as has been said no problem can be solved until an individual assumes the responsibility for solving it when character disordered individuals blame someone else a spouse a child a friend a parent an employer or something else bad influences the schools the government racism sexism society the system for their problems these problems persist nothing has been accomplished by casting away their responsibility they may feel comfortable with themselves but they have ceased to solve the problem of living have ceased to grow spiritually and have become dead weight for society they have cast their pain onto society the saying of the 60s attributed to Edbridge Cleaver speaks to all of us for all time. If you are not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem. That is deep. That was what? Anyway, I'm going to leave it there, people. Until tomorrow. Take care. <laughs>